What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Tasis Podcast. Uh, this episode was recorded right before um, I went to BlizzCon. Uh, there's a couple other ones that uh, I also have in the tank, and, and one more that I'm going to do coming up here. But um, this episode, I interview Wolf, who's a buddy of mine. I'm sure you guys know him, but I've been friends with this guy forever. I've seen this guy through thick and thin, and he's seen me through the best and the worst moments in my life. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. We talk a little bit about um, going to L.A. and coming back to Korea. Uh, and I think in about the second half of the podcast, we talk about all these major announcements that Riot has made, and we speculate on what Blizzard might be doing in the future. Uh, also, we have, I believe, exactly 100 Patreons now, which means we're going to be incorporating videos soon. Now, there's some podcasts I've already done, and I can't go back in time and add video to those. There's also some podcasts I'm going to do at BlizzCon that I can't video record because it's just it's too much equipment and I don't know quite how to do this yet. It's kind of a learning process. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry, my cats are fighting. Okay, continuing on. Uh, so we're going to do uh, video recordings for the podcast after I get back from BlizzCon. We might still be dropping some additional episodes um, because they've already been recorded. But after that, I'm going to come back. I'm going to grab a guest. We're going to get cameras on us and we're going to go to the next level. So thank you guys so much. But this is really just the beginning. Uh, the more that you guys support us, the more we can do. I want to add more mics. I want to get more than one camera. Um, and eventually, I'd like to build a studio. So any support you can give goes a long way. It's patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. If you've got the extra money, it is really, really appreciated. And it's going to go to make this show better and better. Um, I guess that does it for our intro. So let's go ahead and start. Episode, what is this, 15 then? It'll be something. It'll be something. <laughs> You'll see it in the title. Let's start this episode with Wolf. So were you sick yesterday or you just get sick? Uh, I just woke up this morning with a scratchy throat. Um, I wasn't really feeling sick or anything yesterday, but uh, I woke up thinking to myself, well, not a great day to have a scratchy throat <laughs> in a podcast recording, but I think my voice sounds okay. I overall. used to get super stressed out, man, before uh, I'd have a cast if my voice was like hoarse at all. Yeah. Ugh, I hated that. Well, I went to Noribong twice this week because a lot of the Overwatch people were in town for the gauntlet and some yeah. of the Atlanta players are still here and they love going to karaoke, so... Saying a little bit too much this week, but I don't have any casts anytime in the near future, you know, that are planned. So I figured I could go hard, but I think I'm feeling it now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when are you working again? Um, at the moment, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's probably going to be, you know, if I resign for Overwatch League next year, that's like the next up and coming thing that I really know that I'm planning to do. Yeah. Um, you know, barring there's any sort of, you know, StarCraft tournament that pops up, you know, in Korea, we have these one-off things, you know, usually you yeah. and Dan do StarCraft, but sometimes a heroes thing might pop up. I mean, you right, never know. Right. Yeah. It's, it's this weird thing that happens actually for a lot of companies is that especially in December, they usually have to get rid of their yearly budget. So sometimes if they've been successfully nickeling and diming and, and being conservative with their pay, they'll realize, oh, we've got like 20 grand left over. We need to run some tournament somewhere if we can assemble something uh, yeah i mean like uh, you know for starcraft we always had the kespa cup that would just like pop up at the end of the year the uh, old hot six cups that would happen um yeah you know the, the old gsl hot six tournaments um yeah, blizzard cup i think what was one of the ones yeah. that we had back in the day uh the december tournaments were real in korea and it was great because if we didn't have those man casting on the day rate it's like well not going to make a lot of money here at the end of the year. Yeah, this is one of the weird things I think a lot of people don't know is we're basically paid by the day or by, by the cast, I guess you should yeah. say. Um, and so if you don't see us on camera, we're not 
making any money. Like if you see us on camera five days a week, then we are rolling in cash. But <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I've always found this part of the year stressful because it's usually when we all everybody renegotiates their contracts, at least out here in Korea, for the next year. So I always find December to be like nice because I don't have that much casting. Like my stuff's basically wrapping up. I just have a few KSL days, but then I always dread. Uh, I don't know, man, just not knowing, like, can I get a raise or, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to try to lower my pay or what? It's stressful, too, I think, for us as broadcasters, because, you know, during the normal parts of the year, um, even if you have a, a personal life stress or, you know, one event's coming up and you're doing negotiations for that, you do kind of, uh, I feel like, relieve that stress by working, you know, because while you're casting, while you're working and focusing on a tournament, everything else just kind of fades into the background. Like yeah. your focus is on the tournament you're working on and all your problems are kind of like out of focus in the background. But when you're done with the year, basically you're at the end of the year and you're trying to deal with all these contract renegotiations, you're not working either. You're kind of just sitting in your house, stressing out. Yeah. I felt <laughs> like we always as cashers out here collectively lose our minds when it's that time. Cause there's always the chance you, you try to ask for more and they say, no, no, you're fired. Yeah. Or we're going to get this other guy and you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Um, so I, I've just, I've always found it kind of scary. Um, so you just got back to Korea. I want to say like, like what, nine days ago or something uh, like that? Something like that. What's today? Is today like the 18th? Today's Friday. I don't even know what day um, it is. This is what happens when you don't work. Yeah, yeah it's 18th. the 18th. Um, I got back on the 6th, so 12 days ago. So, you know, one thing, I don't know how much people uh, who watch your cast know this about you, but you like, you were in Korea basically nonstop minus work travel for like, okay, hold on, let me, see, let me see if I can do this right. You were here for six years or five and a half years? I, I moved here in 2011, so... Wait a minute, then I'm way off. Um, So like seven to eight years. Seven I'd to say. eight years, yeah. Jesus Christ. And you actually, because some casters come out here, you know, they don't learn the language, they don't learn how to read and write in Korean. Um, you have in some ways almost become a Korean coming out here. Yeah, in a lot of ways, sure. Um, when I first moved out here, uh, it was a big priority for me to learn Korean. Um, and I remember spending time with you and Artosis, uh, and, you know, your friend Matt, um, and we would, you know, go to restaurants and you guys would be able to order drinks or tell a taxi yeah. to go left or right. Uh, and I was like, I'll never be that good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I ended up, uh, really focusing on it and kind of teaching myself. A lot of people uh, that I worked with over the years, try to take classes. Um, like Calder, one of my old co-commentators in StarCraft II and in Heroes of the Storm, uh, went to a Korean university and took like hardcore classes. Um, but for me, that's not how I really learn quickly. I, for me, I just have to teach myself and then apply it and try to use it. So when I first moved here, I just spent a lot of time sounding like an idiot trying to talk to people, uh, whether it was at, you know, Huishik's like, you know, after parties basically for some of the events I was working on. Or if it was out with friends, just trying to talk to Koreans at the bar. Um, and eventually, somehow, I texted enough, I tried enough, and I got the basics down. And I and I like just started using the building box from there. But I think a lot of people trying to learn Korean think that if you just study online or if you just go to classes in the U.S., you'll just magically learn it. But you have to really immerse yourself. That's how language works. I mean, I studied German for four or five years, you know, through high school and the first year of college, and I can understand a ton of German, but I can't speak it at all because I never really immersed myself around Germans and never really tried to speak it. Um, so even though I can understand a lot, it's not really that helpful for me. And I, I think for anyone trying to learn Korean, like 
come here, you know, come to Seoul, spend some time here, or else I think you're going to have a really hard time. Or you're going to understand things, you'll know how to read and write, but your pronunciation will be so bad that when you come here, like, no one will be able to understand you. I see that all the time. Yeah, I, know, I think you're 100% right about the immersion. I'm actually back in classes right now, um, trying to study up, and my girlfriend's Korean, so that helps out a lot. I found that when I date foreigners... My Korean goes nowhere. <laughs> it's not helpful, <laughs> for sure. Honestly, dating somebody, I think, is one of the easiest ways. Uh, or trying to date somebody in Korea who's Korean is also a helpful motivator. I remember when I first got out here, um, and I was hanging out with Guillaume Petri, who's also known as Gur, who's like the first great StarCraft player, uh, and Rec Roll and, and some other guys, because there were all these professional gamers that were foreigners for StarCraft One that switched into poker because they were making too much money. There was no reason to not do poker. And uh, I remember this moment we were at, I guess they're called hunting bars now, where it's like speed dating. Yeah, yeah, like blue ketchup and, and bars like that. Yeah, places like that. So basically, just really quickly, this is a, this is like dating, but like a video game almost, where like uh, a, a woman will sit next to you. If she doesn't like you at all, she can get up and leave. And then yeah. another person comes in. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just a bunch of single people, basically. Um either trying to hook up or trying to find a boyfriend and girlfriend. And um, that was where I first started learning Korean, was going to those places. But I remember the first time I went, and it was so weird to see white guys speaking Korean. Like, it was so... I don't know why it shocked me. I guess it just hadn't occurred to me until I had gotten there. And this was maybe my first week in Korea. Um, that, oh my God, these guys are actually... They're actually living it. You know, like, yeah. they live out here. They they do everything in Korean. Um and I thought, I want I want that. I think that's the sort of feeling I had, too, when um, I met Guillaume for the first time and when I met Recroll. You know, these are StarCraft players um, that, you know, a lot of the, your audience knows about these guys. They're StarCraft fans. Um, and just watching them they might not. A lot of these people are StarCraft Two fans, I find. So sometimes they don't know. But, sure. he, but Recroll is world champion uh, in poker, uh, former StarCraft One pro. And then Guillaume, he's, uh, he was also a professional poker player, but now he does a variety of TV shows where... Um, he he wanders around speaking Korean and experiencing Korean culture. So you introduced me to those guys, and I remember when I first got here, just talking with those guys, and um, you know, I was impressed by you and, and Dan uh, speaking Korean in the taxi or something like that, or you know, at the restaurant. But then I saw these guys, you know, at the bar talking to people and just how fluent they were. And I mean, you know, if you had your eyes closed, you might think they were Korean because their Korean was so good. Right. That that really inspired me and made me feel like I can absolutely learn this and you know when I asked them about they're like well I lived here for a really long time I was like well I I plan on living here for for a long time right so hopefully one day I'll get there I don't know if I've quite gotten there yet but I I feel very confident in my career now I can solve almost any problem uh and I think that's that's like as good as as you want to be right is you know even if you don't know a word for something you can explain what it is you could describe what it is and you could solve that that issue yeah I'm, I'm in a situation where I don't have any problems basically you know, unless I need to have a, a serious conversation about like a topic I don't know, but if if like something happens in my life, my Korean can get me out of it. You know, I'm not confused if I go to a restaurant or a bar or anything. Um, but it, it's really cool to see how you take that. I think your Korean is much better than mine. Actually, I know your Korean is much better than mine. So it's it's really impressive to see someone like you who's immersed himself so heavily out here opt to go to Los Angeles for a while to do Overwatch, uh, Overwatch League. Yeah, that was one of the toughest decisions I think I've ever made since I've been out here. Um, and I knew that the way that, that Korea was going to operate in 2019 was changing a lot. So to get back to around the history, 
Um, originally, we had a tournament out here called Apex. Uh, I know you, you and Papa Smithy touched on this on his episode a little bit. There's an OGN tournament that actually got me into Overwatch because I wasn't sure if I wanted to commentate Overwatch. It looked like a really hard game to follow, really hard game to cast. I wasn't sure if I was going to be a successful esport. But what got me into Overwatch was OGN's Apex tournament because I thought the production was amazing. The camera shots they were using to capture the action, you know, in-game camera shots, the observing, uh, as we call it in esports, was really good. The music they were using was really catchy. And I thought, you know, everything OGN's made that has been big that they went all in on. You know, you think about the StarCraft Leagues, the OSL Pro League, um, and you think about uh, LOL Champions, which, you know, now is LCK and now Riot runs. But everything they built kind of became an empire in Korea to a certain extent. Right. So I thought, um, and, and not unlike the GSL, for example. Sure. But I, I thought, okay, if this tournament really stays and the production is this good and people are excited about it, you know, I want to give it a shot. I want to try this. And I didn't get into it until the third season. The Monty and Doa left to do the first uh, season of Overwatch League. So when they left, I joined. And then after that, um, after Apex Season 4, we're all wondering, is Apex Season 5 going to happen? And it didn't because they changed the format. They gave they took the rights away from OGN and gave it to NBC. Um, we had the old NBC game producer used to produce uh, the MSL working on that tournament. So we were casting contenders now, which you know was the Korean League. Uh, when it was also now pushed around the U.S., there was contenders Europe, contenders North America, Australia, South America. The Korean League was the most prestigious one. The only one that was offline, but it was still a little bit different, right? Uh, but I still enjoyed commentating it and gained a lot more experience. And then when I was asked to, if I wanted to cast the Overwatch League, I also found out at the same time that the Korean League was going to be moving to an online format. And I didn't want to stay in Korea to do the game that I felt like my future was was moving into if it was going to be online because I just... I don't think online tournaments are legit. I mean, everything we've cast out here is that's been big, that's been popular, has always been offline, and that was one of the yeah. biggest decision-making uh, factors for me was when deciding to move to the Overwatch League. Was I really want to stick with this game, and I want to be part of something bigger, like the Overwatch League. And I knew I'd eventually return to Korea. It was just going to be for a year, you know, eight months technically. Um, but I, I thought, well, if I stay here and I cast this online tournament, where's my career really going? Even though I have a lot of Korean followers, I have you know an Instagram that's basically fully only Korean. Um, I thought, well, if I do some content in Korean while I'm over there, and just kind of grin and bear it and get through the season, um, then I can come back here and kind of reboot my life where it was eight months before. Going to the Overwatch League was a fantastic experience, though. I mean, I thought I was gonna you know have to relearn a lot of production stuff because it's so different in Western production versus Korean production. But it was really a fantastic experience working with a, an American studio who had, you know, when, when I press a button, I can talk to somebody and get, and get stats pulled. You know, I can press a button, ask for coffee, and someone will bring it to me, which we don't have here in Korea at all. Yeah, it's much more bare bones, kind of hands off. Um, the difference between Korean production and, and Western production, I feel like Western production, what I don't like about it is that it can get so hands on. That people are there's too many cooks in my kitchen, yeah, uh, kind of thing. Where in Korea they just leave you alone. You know, you don't have somebody in your ear telling you to talk about this or do this or do that, which I like. I felt like that gave me the freedom to find myself as a caster. But um, if you can get the right Western production, it's really good. 
Yeah, so that's what I was worried about too, because I'm so used to, since casting the GSL and all the other Korean tournaments I've done out here, Pro yeah. League, SSL, um, no one ever talks to you, right? I mean, somebody might tell you if like something crazy happens, like a pause or... Maybe we should we should clarify just for people that don't don't cast what we're talking about is like people in your ears sure or or, or, or in, on a commercial break someone comes up to you and tells you to do this or that uh, that's what we mean by like hands-on yeah where in korea they just let you do your own thing because if you were hired to do that you should know how to do it you follow along on the korean broadcast we do you know basically what we call a piggyback broadcast where you have the same feed that the koreans are commentating off of with no korean commentator audio it's just the english audio you have the same music you have the same graphics same images um, so what you're casting as an English commentator in Korea is the same. You're looking at the same feed, the same view as the Korean commentators, just the audio is different. And obviously you usually have a camera shot of the Korean commentators. Um, but yeah, no one's really telling you this graphics coming up next, this graphics coming up next. No one's telling you to hurry up your points and you kind of have to, it's kind of a fun game where you have to follow the Korean commentators pacing as well. If they're going faster than you, you kind of have to speed up what you're doing, or maybe you're going too fast. You have to slow it down. I think that's what gives the Korean production kind of a homely feel is you're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, there's, there's something about when you're casting something out here in Korea. Yeah, because we're tethered on to the other broadcaster, piggybacked on there. It feels like a more of a private stream when, when you're commentating it and like you're part of a live production, but you're almost in the background. Whereas when you have a, a producer in your ear, and this is what, by the way, this is what happens with Korea, like actual Koreans who are casting in Korean. They're following more of a format that you were following out that we would refer to as Western production. Sure. So um, it, it's, yeah, it, I, there's something that I find kind of cozy about casting. Absolutely. Uh, a tethered stream, but I don't know if that's just because that's what I'm used to. I think for me, uh, I still like it, and I did it when I cast the Gauntlet just recently, uh, which was a Overwatch Contenders tournament that happened in Seoul recently. And I went back to it right where I'm, I don't have anyone talking to me, and it felt great again. Um, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. The cool thing about the Overwatch League, the advantages, were that they would ask us, for example, you know, when you go into a Korean broadcast, they know what stats they're going to show, they know what graphics are going to show, and you don't even necessarily know before the show starts, you go through them. They would call us before the show and ask us if there were any particular stats we wanted to pull and show. They would ask us what kind of B-roll we wanted to show, like what kind of footage of the players are you looking for um, when you're telling this story, are you want, do you want a footage of this guy looking sad? Do you want a footage of this guy looking happy? Do you want in-game footage of, you know, his EMPs, you know, abilities used in the game? Like, do you want his earth shatters? What are you, what are you looking for? What kind of stuff can we pull? And they had a fantastic team of people that could pull that stuff in less than 24 hours whenever I asked for it. And then we would, they'd call us again and be like, this is the stuff that we got. We got everything you asked for, except maybe this or that, which we couldn't find in time. So... Well, the story is directed by us, and we get to push the broadcast in certain directions. And if I ask for a camera shot of a player, if I press the talkback button, they can give me that. If I ask for stats after a map for a specific, a specific metric, they can give me that. Um, and in, in Korean production, I feel like they kind of always get the stats and stuff right in general anyways. Like, usually the information is pretty prevalent. Yeah, it seems like they've been doing this for so long. Like, I know for GSL, they'll just... My producers will just come up and... and list off all the important stats here we've already figured it out yeah here it, you go and i go oh thank you i didn't realize that this guy was 10 and 1 you know i thought it would <laughs> yeah. be closer but yeah there were the production at the overwatch league was a lot more reliant on the casters to tell the story mm. um and i think all that's because you know we've been working in esports so much longer than most of the production people who mostly have a sports background at the overwatch league uh had but it was cool that i could 
if there was a stat that they wanted to show that I thought wasn't relevant or that I thought I don't like this stat, it's, it's not really that important, I could tell them I don't want to see that. I'd actually rather see X, Y, Z. And they would just pull that for me whenever I wanted it. And that's true of all the color casters, basically. I mean, the play-by-play casters could also ask for stuff too, but usually the color casters were kind of in control of the flow of the show. So yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely pluses and, and minuses. There's there's advantages and disadvantages for both, you know, Korean and Western production. I I want to ask you, I guess I'll, let me just get right to this. Going to California and and working, I mean, you, uh, the Overwatch League is, is done in Burbank. And for those of you who don't know who are listening, Burbank's where a lot of TV shows are filmed in, in California. Um, uh what is your experience like working out of these production kind of convention hall places? Because when you start to see how, how TV shows in the West are made, it's kind of a fascinating little, I don't know how to describe, how would you describe where Overwatch League is made? So, I mean, we have the big studio, you know, the quote unquote studio that you see, the stage that you see when you see the Overwatch League, where you see Los Angeles Valiant on one side and you see Shanghai Dragons on the other side is a stage that's built out, that's rented, you know, and built out that looks really amazing, but it's not it's not naturally there. You know, whoever's using that space has to rent and build this stage, right? Um, and then you have a wide array of seats on the ground right in front of it, just like you would have at the GSL, for example. And then all the um, seats behind those are kind of tiered up, almost like a theater. But that's just what you see on camera. What you see otherwise, you know, if you're a caster, is there's... You're almost in like an anthill or like a beehive. Yes. Okay. This is what I was trying to get to. So there's like 16 or eight or something like that TV studios all yeah. connected together in this weird convention <laughs> hall block. And it's it's maze-like and labyrinthian. And there's a cafeteria in the middle. Yeah, there's a cafeteria. And- there's... There's all sorts of rooms that all needs different key cards to get into. Yes. Um, and then you go up and down staircases to get to certain parts of the building. But if you take the wrong one, you'll end up in the wrong place. And there's so many signs that tell you, quote unquote, where to go, but then you don't really know what they mean. It says like to go to XYZ Hall and you're like, well, I don't know what that means. How do I get out of here? Um, and I told everyone who hadn't been at the studio before because you know, there was a lot of new staff at the Overwatch League that hadn't worked there before. And I had worked there for Heroes of the Storm, actually, um, before the Overwatch League even started. And I was like, you will get lost. Like, keep track of where you are and stay with people because for the first week, you're just going to get lost. You're going to suddenly yeah. walk into a Blizzard meeting or you're going to walk into a production staff meeting thinking you're walking around the corner and trying to get out of the building. And then you're just going to walk into a meeting and be like, oh, my God, guys, where is the exit? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such an odd thing. I think a couple TV shows. Uh, Ryan, can you look this up? This HBO show that was making it, it, it's older, but it was a show about late night talk shows. Like it was basically a parody of like what it's like to be like working on the Letterman show or um, like the Johnny Carson show. By the way, the Overwatch League is actually that studio is actually where the Johnny Carson show yeah. was filmed. That's in the exact same space. Um, Larry Sanders show. Or I feel like uh, BoJack Horseman's done a good job kind of capturing what it is like to be working on a television set. But it's a very, very different thing, particularly in California. Yeah. Um I, I would agree with that. It's also, it's kind of strange when you go to one of these studios too, because it always looks so big on the camera, right? Right. And then when you arrive there, you're like, oh, it's a little bit smaller than I remembered. 
I feel like Overwatch League's uh, stage that they had in you know what we call Bala, um, the Blizzard Arena, Los Angeles, is it's one of the only studios I've been to where it feels almost as big as it looks on camera. I mean, for those people who used to watch the old GSL, like the very beginning, or the Mokdong Studio. So that, that was place actually huge on camera, but it's actually tiny. And it was actually on the second floor of a middle school, which was totally fucking weird. Like yeah. it, was, it was almost embarrassing because <laughs> people would come out, you know, to see the show, and you'd basically be an adult walking into a school, you know, um, and you'd see people who wanted to come and watch the show kind of. Hem and haw at the edge of the school, thinking, is it really in there? I can't just yeah. walk into a school, right? If yeah. I'm an adult and I don't have a child there. <laughs> um, yeah. Seoul, the way they have the studio set up, because this is such a big, um, kind of a beehive of a city, usually it's just some studio plugged into a building. Yeah. Somewhere. I know that uh, a digital media city, right? There's a, a more of a kind of convention hall setup of sure. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a f- bunch of studios in uh, in digital media city. You know, KBS studios are all in there. TBS. I mean, not all of KBS studios, but they're major ones. NBC, right, right. Um, and you know, I've done some radio show stuff out with TBS down there. You know, obviously, I've cast a lot at the OGN studio, the Giga Arena, uh, which is there as well, um, which is where Apex used to be, where LCK used to be, um, and all the shows OGN did. Recently, not not the old OSL that was in a different studio in Yongsan, but yeah, the Overwatch League studio. It feels when you walk into it as a fan, or you know, in my case as a caster, it feels as big as it looks on camera. It's, it's a little bit uncanny. I really appreciate the scale of that studio, and I don't know if I'll ever work in something that big again for a regular show. You know, next year we're all going to be traveling to home stands. We're going to be from city to city, so you're not going to have the same insanely sick setup that we had basic in LA. Um, constantly already pre-built. I'm never going to have that again for Overwatch League because we're going to be traveling. So I wonder if I'll ever work in a studio regularly, you know, like you do for GSL that is as big and as massive as what the Overwatch League studio was. It's, um. do you think you're going to, would you prefer if you had one to just have a big studio or do you prefer to be traveling constantly? Uh, for me, I mean, as a as a broadcaster, I prefer to have one studio. You know, you feel familiar with it. Um, you know, you start to know like where everything is, you know, in about like six months time, right? You pretty much know everything that's in the building, you know, where you can go outside to meet your, your co-casters, meet the pro gamers. If you wanted to chat with anybody before you grab a taxi, um, or, you know, a lift or whatever the case may be, you know, where you are. I enjoyed that feeling of like, this is my studio. This is my place. I enjoyed that when we were in Mokdong. Um, you know, later on in Yongsan for uh, for OGN and then the Samsung studio, the one that we have now, which was Gom EXP, but now Afrika TV. Um, having regular studios makes you feel like you've got this home and this place, you know, exactly where the makeup room is. When I go to events now, I, I love I love traveling for events. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm talking about studios and when you go to a new event, you got to get your credentials, you know. You're going to lose them. The oh, badge. yeah. I've, oh, I and always security, lose my credentials. And the and security I'm... guard doesn't let you in. And you got to call somebody. Yeah. You don't know where the makeup room is because it's your first time and your last time you're ever going to work in that studio. You got to go yeah. find You got to go find where it is. If you forget because you're thinking about a million other things, you got to call your talent manager and he's going to have to come find you. He's going to be really pissed because he's dealing with <laughs> like four other people just like you who keep getting lost. You never feel comfortable when you're traveling from studio to studio. It's something you get used to, I think, and I certainly have gotten used to, but I absolutely prefer the home studio feel to like, 
a different building every time. <laughs> yeah, I, that is a funny thing when you uh, are on the road a lot, when you're touring, um, is that you end up in some place, you're going to be there for six days, and how you slowly figure out that little area. Like, okay, there's a gas station down the street if I need to get snacks. There's this restaurant that's good. That other restaurant's bad. We're not going there. There's this one bar that's cool. And we figured it out. Now it's time to go. Yeah. You know. You always know, like, the best place to get fresh air is where everyone's, like, gathering to smoke. Like, that's always the fastest way out of the studio where you're like, oh, man, it's hot in there. And when you're in these (laughs) studios, too, it's so dark all the time. And if you're in these long 12-hour days, which, you know, we often are, you're just in the dark all day. So if you don't walk outside every few hours, you're just, you're a vampire. Did I tell you about this whole thing? This is back when I had panic attacks, but I went to a doctor and they tested my blood and they were like, whoa, you have like no vitamin D in your body. And I'm like, what? They're like, do you get any sunlight? I thought, no, I guess I don't. I guess I wake up, get into, uh, you know, the train, the subway. So I go underground pop out for maybe a minute and a half and then walk into a studio and uh the doctor was like you got to get sunlight and then once i started just spending a little bit more time outside i realized oh oh yeah i guess if i don't get any sunlight at all i suddenly feel like shit yeah if you just go into the train and then get to the studio by the time you're done with your show it's dark no matter what and then you know you go out with your coworkers afterwards grab a drink then you go home if you stayed up late like we do because we're gamers. Yeah. Then you wake up late. There's not that much sunlight outside anyways, even if you had a day off. And I mean, and part of it, we all just spend at our computers playing video games anyways. <laughs> yeah, you're a night owl like me. Yeah. Or Valdez. Like Dan, he's got kids, so his kids just, he's forced to wake up early and bring them to school. But um, I, I will sleep all day until it's time to, you know, basically get ready and then go cast. I've tried to fix it, but I find that organically I end up going to bed later and later and later like tomorrow i've got what's probably going to be a 10-hour cast which i can't believe we still have these type of casts and <laughs> good luck good I'm, luck i'm gonna get i'm fucked man um <laughs> but i've got this like 10-hour cast it starts it starts at 10 a.m i gotta be at the studio at 9 a.m and i'm dreading it because i know i'm gonna lay in my bed and stare at the ceiling having heart palpitations because you know that's the worst nightmare is the idea of ever missing a show or being late but um yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy what it, it is like to just be indoors that much. Yeah, and I think it's something that you know we all have kind of dealt with a, at one point or, or other in our lives. Um, I think as you get older, you start to at least for me. You know, my parents always told me, "Go outside. You need to appreciate nature. You know, you need to go go out and see the world and and, and see trees and and go on a hike." And when I was younger, playing video games all the time, I just never had any interest in that. But as I got older, I was like, oh, I do want to go out and see the world and, and go hiking and, and be outside yeah. and take bike rides. And luckily, I did get that appreciation later in life because if I didn't, I probably would also have no vitamins in, in my blood. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would be super pale. I mean, I am pale, but paler, if, if you can imagine. We're both pretty vampiric, to be honest. So, like, what was it like to get to L.A.? I mean... A lot of people have strong opinions about Los Angeles. Is somebody who was living in Seoul, and then you grew up in Atlanta uh, before that. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you grew up in Atlanta. Uh, what is it like moving to Los Angeles, and what is it like living there? Um, so I moved into an apartment in Glendale, um, which actually is a really interesting place. It's got a bunch of big malls. It's a pretty famous area. 
Um, it's got a bunch of like malls and shops and, and restaurants. And there's a place called the Americana that's very f- famous there, fancy shopping center. Um, but it's also got a heavy population of Armenians. The Armenian embassy is nearby. Um, so I kind of lived in a unique place within LA, right? Um, basically like Armenia town, but then also with a bunch of shopping centers. Armenians I met very friendly. Uh, and I, it was really cool to be a part of like the Armenian community for a little bit because all the restaurants, you know, around mostly were run by Armenians. Um, and you know, the security staff you'd, you'd run into at the bar, some of the bar owners and bartenders. Um, it was really cool. I didn't like learn any Armenian or anything like that, but it was cool kind of experiencing their culture, um, which was pretty awesome. But outside of that, you know, going downtown, going downtown L.A. or just going to the bars around Glendale, not even necessarily Glendale, like Hollywood, uh, North Hollywood or NoHo, as they call it. Um, it was a different culture from Korea because I find that in Los Angeles, uh, the two things that really stand out to me are one, people are very sensitive uh, compared to here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, extremely so. And the second thing is a lot of the people that you'll meet are trying like if you talk to a stranger at the bar it feels like every person i talk to is trying to make it but failing uh, <laughs> oh, yeah actually i know exactly what you're talking like, about yeah you know you know the song with um the boulevard of broken dreams like yeah, yeah. it does feel like that <laughs> like you know you meet somebody and they'd be like hey what do you do and i would tell them that i'm a video game caster you know if i was feeling up for it because oftentimes you know you just kind of go like, oh, i'm just here for business you know <laughs> you don't really want to yeah, go yeah. the whole story but yeah, yeah, totally. I, I would tell them and they'd be like, well, that's preposterous, you know, and, I, and I'd, I'd say like, well, it's not that weird. I mean, these guys, some of them are making hundreds of thousands of dollars salary. Like this is a franchise league. It's not that different from the NFL. And they're like, that's preposterous. Like, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to make it in film right now. Like if you can look up my, my movie on IMDb and like, yeah. I look it up. There's like no thumbnail picture. There's like no actors listed, but he's like, no, it's on IMDb. And I'm, I'm trying to get my film. Like I'm trying to go to Sundance, but like, it's not going so well, you know? And it's just stuff like that where these people are like, well, that's preposterous what you're doing. And then show me like this thing they're trying to do, but it's, it's not working. And they'd feel very, they'd feel very proud of themselves, but very like, Look, looking down on what I've done off oh, video games, like, no way. <laughs> LA is a weird city because it seems to weed people out. And because its major export is entertainment, you end up with entertainment people, um, which are just kind of a, a, a weird, it's, it's sort of a weird group of people in of themselves. For instance, when you go to a bar, everybody that works in the bar is good looking because they're all trying to become actors. Yeah. You know, so there's this like excess of, of, of beauty in LA, but also. Most people in entertainment don't make it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, I, yeah, I know exactly what you, you're saying when you say everybody Everybody's is trying, trying to make it, it, but they're failing. failing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and on to the sensitivity thing. Uh, how did you find Californians to be sensitive? Um, I, I found that, like, if you had a different opinion, you know, I mean, you know, most people in California, you'll be hard pressed to find any conservative people that are out and around young people. Right. So, you know, if you're talking about politics, you know, if you're talking about anything that's non left, like they don't even want to hear it. Oftentimes, I'm not trying to generalize and say everyone in California, but most people I interacted with. But like, that's what you would think my answer would be. Right. But I mean to say, even, for example, when people would want to talk about Marvel movies, at, at the bar and I would say oh, I'm not just not I'm just not that interested in, in Marvel movies like I think there's too many Marvel movies and like I'm kind of burnt out on that like I this is a topic that came up so many times in LA really I'm very burnt out on Marvel movies or I don't like uh the horror genre or whatever like well I do you know and and like 
so what if you don't like it, you know? And I'm just like, I'm just telling you, like, I, I just, it's not for me. Like, and I, I feel very strongly that I'm kind of tired of, of Marvel movies and, and people would get very upset that I would attack that they liked Marvel movies or that they liked the horror genre and, and, and the films that have been coming out recently for that, which I, I don't really watch, right? I felt like whenever someone wanted to talk about something pop culture-wise, music as well, oh, uh, this is not really for me. A lot of people, not everyone, again, I'm not trying to generalize everyone in LA, but a lot of people would take some offense to just me even having a counter viewpoint to like what sort of pop culture they liked. And I found that to be really strange because... You know, here in Seoul um, and in Georgia as well, overall, um, I find that when you have a counter view to someone, it actually sparks discussion usually. Yeah. it California seems to be very uh, interested in trying to homogenize all of the opinions on everything. It's weird because whenever I've first gone to California, I've always noticed it seems like everybody's kind of cool with everybody. And then if opinions start to come out for some reason... The it people gets that weird. There's like antibodies against other ideas, and it's a it's a very odd thing. Did you feel like you had to deal with them, um, like woke culture? Um, define certain, define woke culture. I guess I don't know. I, I guess being overly politically correct. Um, I I I'd say half the people I talk to about stuff like, you know, let's just take for an example. There was this issue. I don't know the details of it, but someone said something about such and such spirit animal, right? And then there were people that are offended by this idea of a spirit animal. There was some people that generally, and I don't know the details of this, but there was something that was discussed for several days, right? And uh, and there were some people that were very hard stuck, like you can't say that anymore, right? Why, why, why can't you say spirit animal? I don't know. I I I just I this is I, exactly what I was talking about. I withdraw with, with myself. I withdraw and... myself from these conversations, right? But yeah. some people were also just like, well, that's ridiculous. I don't understand why people are so fed up with that. I, th- I felt like it was 50-50 almost. You know, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that everyone that I that I interacted with was very woke, as you say. And yeah. very much like, we can't say that anymore. Or, or, you know, that's so offensive nowadays. I think a lot of that really people over-exaggerate how much of a movement that is. I think because it's just on social media and everything that blows up on social media you see especially with like how Twitter works with retweets, retweets by their own nature, like make things look bigger than they are because they're just being reposted, you know, infinitely. So I find that generally people weren't that upset about, you know, things of that nature. You know, I can't think of any great examples right now, minus the weird spirit animal thing, which was a topic of discussion around me for, for days. That's so weird. I had this thing happen to me where I was at Korean barbecue in LA because this is the story of my life is I leave Korea to, and, and I want to eat other food but everybody in esports wants to eat Korean barbecue. This always happens. This always happens. It always happens. Live, and, my first night in LA my very first night everyone was like go we got to get KBBQ like you're from Korea right you know and it's like it's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get Korean barbecue if I'm not in Korea anymore. I mean the Korean barbecue in Seoul's I mean obviously it's the best in the world but um I'm at this Korean barbecue place and uh this is one of these places where the staff is all Koreans, right? And I was so I ordered um, something in Korean to them, and someone else at, the, at, the, at my table was offended. Like, why are you doing that? You should be able to speak English to a man. This happened. This happened and, to me before, yeah. And I don't know. I'm I, okay. I was very curious if this has happened to you. Where I'm thinking, no, this isn't offensive. I speak this guy's language. This guy, by the way, that I was ordering from, his English was actually not very good, anyways, and so. But people were somehow offended by this. I, I've i had this happen to me, uh, too, where, um, you know, someone at the table would be like, it, it, almost in a weird opposite way, where someone 
um, at the table, be like, oh, you can speak Korean. So like, you know, you want to order in Korean? I'd be like, yeah, sure. And I would try. And interestingly, like a lot of the Korean restaurants I went to, like the staff, you know, was Korean American and didn't speak Korean very well or got really nervous or embarrassed because I um, would order in Korean. They would get some of them got offended. Like, oh, I just because I'm Korean doesn't mean I speak Korean kind of thing. And I was like, all right, I learned very quickly, like, okay, probably yeah. if I'm not in, like, K-Town, like, probably yeah. I don't want to use Korean because someone might get offended either at my table or, or the, the staff there. But I think that's mostly just because if you if you are a Korean-American and you don't speak Korean, you probably ha- you're carrying a lot of weight, I think, You probably general. feel guilty about it yeah. or something. Or I your mean, parents have made you feel guilty. Or for sure. I mean, and it's, it's actually kind of messed up, but sometimes the Korean-Americans do travel to Korea and get... Um, discriminated against because their korean is not up to par so i do feel for those people and it actually made me feel guilty sometimes when i did when i first moved there try to speak korean to people and then they were just unable to respond um so i do understand like that sort of sort of guilt right but you know sometimes there were people at the table who were like well i mean they speak english also when i would go to k-town sometimes they'd be like yeah they all speak english but i'm like yeah but like we're in a korean restaurant in k-town and I don't want to yeah. make them feel uncomfortable. The same way, I mean, in Korea, like when in Seoul, when you talk to people here, like a lot of them do understand English, but like, of course, we're going to speak Korean if we can. Because yeah, yeah, it's exactly. just it just makes their lives easier. Um, I guess I guess what I found more interesting about it was the idea that you could be offended either way by just trying to communicate in a language. Sure. You could be, you know, I mean, one thing that happens to a lot of foreigners out here who don't speak English is people keep speaking English to them. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, you'll, you you can go to, for instance, a. Uh, Turkish kebab place and, and order in Korean, their Korean's going to be better than their English. Yeah. You know, out here. But I just found that I find it interesting in California what people choose to be offended by. You know, and I'm not I'm not interested in hurting people's feelings or anything like that. But I've always every time I've go there, I realize, OK, I got to dial it tw- down. tweak a yeah. few dials here and, 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 and turn this down over here because. I don't want to step on people's toes. There is, a, there is overall, like, even though, you know, all my friends I hung out with were, were pretty cool and chill. And I felt like when I had a few people over to the Seth and I's apartment, my co-caster Achilles, we lived together while we were there. We'd have some people over, you know, when it was a private thing where I know every person in the room, I always felt like I could say anything, you know, just yeah. like, just like soul, even though a lot of those people are LA natives, but and not that I say offensive things all the time, but. As you say, like sometimes people misconstrue like something, a joke that you've made into something that's offensive Um, or even or even I found sometimes laughing at a joke that someone else has made makes me like now I'm now they're offended at me because I thought something someone said was funny, even though it might have been like a little bit off the rails. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it does feel like sometimes when you're out with people, you don't know. Like I do. I did have this feeling of like, I don't think I'm going to say anything offensive. But I'm a little bit on guard. I'm a little bit on guard all the time about yeah. what I say. So just to totally change the subject here. So this has been a uh, a very bad year for Blizzard. Uh, the company that, you know, our, their games we represent. Um, the Heroes of the Storm League was canceled. The There was an 800-person firing or layoffs at Blizzard, I should say. Uh, and a lot of those people were the people that we worked with. So it wasn't like they shut down some department that was invisible to you and I. Uh, and we're in this PR nightmare for Blizzard uh, with Hearthstone. On top of that, for when this was recorded, by the way, because I think this should be airing right before, basically right before BlizzCon, um, we just saw these major announcements from Riot. Um, they just dropped a bomb. I know that there's going to be this League of Legends anime series. They are 
launching a card game. They are launching an FPS. Fighting we know, game. Right, fighting game. And I think there's some other stuff. There's, there's like be... an action art or action uh, game. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I think it involves Blitzcrank, the, the champion from the game. And maybe it's like uh, Devil May Cry type. I don't know. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've yeah. seen everything else. Um, it's a lot, you know. They, they I think announced. there's an esports team manager game or something like that. So, you know, Riot, which a lot of people would joke about them at the time, they had one game, right? Yeah. And their game Riot essentially, game. <laughs> yeah, Riot game. <laughs> um, and with no disrespect, being tossed here, this game was uh, they were emulating Dota, yeah. right? It was it was in some ways a carbon copy of another game that was basically a mod of a Blizzard game. Um, now. I think in Blizzard's defense, Riot waited 10 years to drop all these bombs at once, so I think it's going to be tough for Blizzard to match this. But, um, Well, let's go ahead and just talk about what, what Riot's doing right now. Uh, each of these games appears to be a target to take on the other major competitor, right? Sure. It's like a genre. It's like a game per genre almost. Yeah. They, um, I mean, what, what, I mean, the... I'm sorry. What is what's the card game called, Ryan? I, I, it's Legends of Runeterra. I think. Legends of Runeterra. Okay, this this name is still new to me, so I'm still trying to absorb it. Um, obviously, that is a their target is to take on Hearthstone and everything like Magic: The Gathering. Uh, we have this FPS game, which appears to be some kind of a merger of Overwatch and Counter Strike. Uh, so there's you know Valves in the crosshairs there, as well as Blizzard again. Uh, the fighting game is putting Capcom and Namco. Every other FGC publisher there, they're attempting to step in and take uh, this on. I, I mean, it hadn't even occurred to me, but this this esports team builder, all these things are going to have esports, but what they're doing is they're taking a game that I guess it would be like SimCity or or something, you know, like a theme hospital sure. type like game. Kind of yeah, football hockey manager yeah, type thing. Manager. Um, so where these people who are, this is essentially a game that that's not, probably going to ever be an eSport, but it still centers around eSports to only push that concept further along here. And just like Nintendo did with Pokemon, where they had an animated series that captured the minds and the lives of young children, um, and they grew up playing Pokemon, and now as adults we all know the different Pokemon by name, um, it it just seems like they're they're about to attack everywhere at once. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I mean, first of all, I do respect Riot a lot, for, I mean, we all have kind of like heard rumors here and there about this game or that game being made by Riot over the last, you know, really like six, seven years. Yeah, I heard a lot of rumors too. And um, it seemed like, you know, Riot was just not ready to release anything. And I do respect uh, a company like Riot for waiting until they feel like they've really got a grasp on something before before pushing it out. Um and Blizzard, you know, has has done this with a lot of their games before too. Nintendo notorious for delaying and or canceling their games if they just don't feel like, you know, they're really going to hit the mark. So I do really respect them for that. Um, in terms of the games that we've really got a close look on, I mean, we saw Legends of Runeterra, the card game. Like people are streaming it right now on Twitch. Um, for me, it's really interesting because I played a lot of League when it first came out, but not so much recently. But there's no attachment for me to the characters in the into in the card game because I'm not really a league person per se. Like I only know league because of the esport. You know, I know I know yeah. the champions because of the esport. Um, the same for me. I have no relationship with those champions. Yeah. It's, so it's weird. Like Hearthstone, I didn't have. I never really played World of Warcraft. So like Hearthstone was kind of yeah. the same thing for me. But I fell in love with Hearthstone. 
So I wonder if I'll end up liking this game. It feels a lot more complicated than Hearthstone at first glance. Um, but, you know, I don't have a key. I can't play it right now. But if I do eventually get a key, I'm, I'm going to check it out. But I'm already kind of like pretty deep in Hearthstone, you know, in terms yeah. of like how much money I've spent on that game and how I many spent, hours I've spent. I spent so much money. I just stopped. I just spent so much money on Hearthstone. I thought, my fucking God, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm an adult and I, I make, you know, okay money. So it's like I can do that, but... I, I went I went like um, almost double I think the money I spent on Hearthstone from casting it because I cast a few events here and there yeah yeah um, over like five years so I, when I got to that point I was like I'm also gonna stop spending money on Hearthstone for now and I've just I go like free to play you know just whatever gold yep. I get from grinding like I buy packs with the gold but yeah I don't know exactly how Runeterra's model is gonna work yet either. I mean, some details are out, but, you know, we've been traveling and working and stuff, so I don't know exactly how uh, the game's going to shape up, but it looks very complicated. It doesn't look as attractive to me as Hearthstone did just because it feels like there's a lot I need to understand. Like, you switch sides for attack and defense, it looks like, and um, there's a lot more mechanics on the cards, and your deck is a little bit more complicated. It's not like a two-card limit. It's, uh, It's much bigger than that, so... It seems like a hardcore version of Hearthstone, so I guess for people who are really hardcore into you know trading card games, it might be for them. Yeah, I think I'll check it out. I, I'm super intrigued by the shooting game because apparently that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, well, I think this actually, the way that it looks, it, it, it almost seems like it's slightly lower tier graphics, and I think one of the reasons for that, and a lot of people don't know this, but you know, Counter-Strike is not actually the biggest game of that type in the world. No. Um, a lot of Europeans are probably losing their shit hearing this, but this is actually a fact. There's Crossfire, which I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this have never heard of this game. Uh, Special Force Sudden Attack. There's a couple other ones. These are all, in a sense, kind of crappier versions of, of Counter-Strike. They're lower-tiered graphics, but places in the world where they can't afford high-end gaming PCs, that's what they play. And these right. games also operate on the free-to-play model, where like you can buy stuff in the game if you want, but you don't have to. Yeah, and that's um, part of why League of Legends was so successful as well. You know, yeah. it's just a pretty low, low graphics requirement to play. And here's the thing. The companies that have run Crossfire and Special Force, um, they've not hit it off with their eSports stuff. They didn't seem to have the infrastructure uh, or even the, the, the player base to necessarily want to go, you know, full on into their game it wasn't a global i think player base you know it right was kind of regionalized in well, china like and Southeast china Asia. and in indonesia yeah. and places like that but with riot's ability to run esports this game could be the biggest thing ever uh, and apparently they're doing all this stuff to combat um bad ping and and, and lag which is always the issue that can affect uh, a, a shooting game more than basically anything else shooting games and fighting games and if they can if they can fix online play for those two games to be as global and as, as doable no matter where you're in the world as possible, I mean, they might just take over. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it. I mean, we saw very little footage of the game in, in general, um, but some of the stuff that we did see looked very Counter-Strike-esque in terms of the aim, you know, and, yeah. and how val- valuable headshots are. For example, in Overwatch, a headshot is going to net you a kill straight away unless right. you're using you know Widowmaker for example or, or another hero that has like burst damage to the head like McCree um, otherwise you know even if you're shooting in the head you're still gonna have to hit several times it's not the same kind yeah. of shooter right uh, it's not a realistic shooter and this game even though it has 
you know, a character that fires shurikens, it seems like. It seems like the shurikens operate a little bit differently than, like, say, Genji's shurikens, right, in Overwatch, where um, it's much more precision-based, and I think that's really cool. Some of the abilities we saw, too, look like one ability is kind of, like, sets up a smoke bomb. One's kind of like a smoke bomb, but it's in a line. At least that's what it looks like, right? So, you know, a lot of people who are diehard Counter-Strike fans look at this saying, well, I don't like that there's abilities in the game. Maybe it's not for me. The abilities kind of, at least from what I'm seeing, mimic those of, like, a smoke grenade or, or a flashbang, potentially. So, Well, there's also yeah. the Counter-Strike community's reaction. I mean, they really did a great job embarrassing themselves. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a... I mean, you know, and I'm coming from StarCraft, which also has historically maybe been the most insecure out of all the gaming communities, um, and at the same time elitist, but to suddenly see all these people who, I guess, never didn't know about the game at all to come out and start talking out against it. I mean, just talk about showing how threatened you are. <laughs> if you yeah. don't like it, don't play it, yeah. you know? Um, and that's a game that actually has a very healthy competitive scene, so I thought that was pretty amusing to I see people pretty, act like that on Twitter. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. Um, I, I look forward to it, though, because now that I've cast an FPS for about three years, I mean, I, I did before that, like, some of the crossfire, some of the sudden attack stuff you were talking yeah, about, but yeah. kind of just one-off. Um, and now that I've cast, like, a really popular FPS game and uh, kind of know how casting FPS feels and how, um, even though it feels like oftentimes it's aim-based when, when you're watching it as a viewer, like, there's so much macro play in Counter-Strike, there's so much macro play in in Overwatch about where you are positioned, where you're moving as a squad and kind of strike whether you're doing a eco round or, you know, if you're, you're buying all AKs or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I would love to cast another game that's like that, but also has like some abilities and talking about yeah. cooldowns and positioning. Um, it looks really exciting to me. I think it's going to pop off in Korea if it, if the graphics are tuned a little bit. I mean, we saw like pre alpha footage, so who knows? Right, but, right. But it, it reminds me of almost, it's a little bit cell shaded, it's not that cell shaded. It's very clean. I think you're 100% spawned. I think it will run on low end PCs. Um, so, you know, that means people can play it on their laptop, right? Which is huge for Korea. You know, it used to be can you play it on the weak PCs at the PC bond? Can you play it on your mom's computer? But now everyone's got a laptop for school, right? Can you play it on your right. school laptop? If the answer is yes, it's probably going to do well. Also, I guess from a game design perspective, the big question for what way they're going to take it, and maybe there's a middle ground here, is. Uh, you know, Counter-Strike, it's all about aim, but not just that. It's also about flashes and nades and can you napalm the, this certain area. Or I'm sorry, Molotov, not napalm. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> a Molotov in a certain area. Um, and a lot of that is is about controlling vision, right? Um, where it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not an Overwatch expert. Uh, Overwatch is more about using objects like shields, like barriers to push into locations, um, yeah, so I'm I'm wondering which direction they're going to take that because they are they FPS games operate totally differently depending on if it's a mo mobile barrier game or if it is you know flashes and smokes. I think the big the people like to talk about barriers in Overwatch, but I think the big unique thing about Overwatch that um, no other game really has uh, is the support role, the healing role. Mm, like even yeah, TF2 yeah. really only had medic that could heal you, right? And it right. was the closest thing we have to that is mercy, right? In Overwatch. But the fact that you have healing and tanks, you know, frontline tanks, you know, the mm -hmm. barrier, sure, but you have this big guy, Reinhardt, you've got a Winston, uh, this monkey that leaps forward. Like, the healing aspect changes how the game is played entirely, and it plays like a MOBA because of that. Um, and even though I think most people would classify Overwatch as an FPS, I kind of almost classify it more as a MOBA, even though it has that FPS element. I would it. agree. Um, 
And I think that this game feels like, even though it may have some abilities, I don't think there's going to be any healing aspect to it, right? Because if one shot can kill someone to the head, yeah. and it seems like that's kind of, at least in the footage we saw, that's a huge factor yeah, they in the seem game. To, they seem to want to make it very clear in the small video that was playing that this is one of those games where you're when you get shot, you die. If you're dead, you're dead. You're, if you're dead, you're dead. You're not... You're not. It's like Overwatch or, or Quake, where you can eat a rocket, and 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 go heal yourself. Yeah, they um they did the dev did make it clear there was not going to be any respawns, so like kind of like Counter Strike style. But I did notice that it seemed like there was a res mechanic uh in one of the videos where uh, one of the characters kind of resed one of the characters that was another character that was outside of like a choke point. Um, and then you know he shot and killed somebody who was hiding inside. Maybe, maybe like PUBG, where if you have a teammate. You know, and they're crawling around on the ground. They're basically dead, but you can res them. Yeah, it might just be that one character's like main ability. Maybe they can only use it once per round or something like that. Um, but maybe they have like a really weak gun because we don't know if you. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't know if you're going to be able to buy guns per round yet. Or no, I think like this was leaked. I believe it was leaked that you can buy guns per round. Okay, I, I, now I hadn't I heard that, but I mean, you know, I saw a picture of it. It's on a slashers. Twitter account. Okay. Is he said, and this, uh, this is according to people that saw like in the distance what appeared to be a buy round, but I'm not sure. Okay. And they could always take that out. If, I might be totally wrong. Sure. That, I mean, that's what I heard as a leak. If there's a character that, for example, uh, can res, like maybe maybe something unique to them is they don't fire guns or they have limited selection they can buy in, in the shop. I don't know. But I mean, that that's one of those things I think is going to turn CS players off is that I got this sick headshot kill on somebody maybe through a wall or just around the corner and then this guy was hiding and then he resed him. And then he killed me after getting resurrected. Um, I think that might turn some people off, but like personally, I don't care about it. It's cool for me, you know. As long as it's balanced and as long as it doesn't define the game, then I'm I'm always open for abilities like that. Personally, um, what about with the fighting game? I mean, I've talked about this in other podcasts that I've done with different guests, but it does seem like out of all the games, the types of games I should say that people know how to make fighting games, they really figured it out the most. There's so many good fighting games out there that are balanced and, and deep and beautiful that I can't name them all off the top of my head. Yeah, the fighting game, the thing that I always think about with fighting games is how do you make sure that the characters that you've created can interact with each other in a meaningful way? Like, if you, there are bad matchups in fighting games, right? Sometimes sure. you get outranged. Um, you know, Dalsim is one of those like noob stomping characters in, in uh, Street sure. Fighter because he just can outpoke you. And if you don't know how to block correctly, you don't know how to approach, then you're just going to get owned, right? But if you make a fighting game where it feels like a lot of matchups are like that, then everyone's going to be upset, right? No one's going to have fun. I think that for me, if I look at this fighting game as one of the big things I think Riot should be careful about is making too many characters at release. Yeah, I feel like if it's like eight to ten, they'll probably be okay. But if they're going for like sixteen plus, I mean that is just so hard to balance. Or you know, I don't know if you've tried to play Tekken Seven, but you know, I've been trying to pick it up from time to time, and it's like there's too many characters when I walk in. It seems like they're going to have to do a slow drip, which they probably already know to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way, right? I mean, when you think about all the games that have massive character rosters now, they didn't start that way. When you look at Street Fighter, even the original Smash Bros. game for the Nintendo sixty four. Started with eight characters, four unlockable characters, so like 12 in total. I think Riot could start with an eight-character cast and kind of DLC build it out um, into a wider cast. I mean, you talk about Tekken, Smash Ultimate has like 70-plus characters in it now, too. So if you're not a Smash person, you haven't been playing the, throughout the entire Smash lifetime, I, I find a lot of people are like, whoa, there's a lot to know, you know? I almost feel like they should have slowed that down, the proliferation of characters. Yeah, there's, a, there's a ton. Yeah, I mean, I remember with... I 
how many characters were there in Street Fighter Five when it came out? It was a very, very know. low number. I mean, there's quite a bit now, but um, yeah, I just, I, I do wonder. I wonder what the cultural implications of this are going to be for the FGC as well. You know, the FGC has always been suspicious of publishers and, and organizers. Um, I know, for instance, Capcom is really not doing well with Street Fighter Five right now. Um, Namco's actually doing very well with Tekken lately, but they seem like they're starting on such a smaller scale. Like it's just now, like Tekken esports is starting to become a thing uh, that that's growing. But a lot of these fighting game tournaments, they want to be able to to curse as casters. They want to. Uh, they don't want some kind of overarching publisher to control stuff. And we know we can at least glean from the way that Riot's handled uh, League of Legends, where they are in complete control of everything that they'd be doing this, a similar, if not the same thing, with this fighting game. Yeah, most fighting game communities really don't like the idea of circuit-based tournaments. They usually like one-off events that are hosted by that, you know, that TO, uh, is, you know, tournament organizer. Some TO creates a tournament, and they create a series of tournaments, like EVO, for example, one of the most famous ones, obviously. Um, but there's even smaller ones, like in Smash Bros., like Big House. Um, and I think people like the idea that every tournament is different, has its own style, has its own tournament organizer, organizer is located in a different place. So, you know, if you live closer to it, you get to travel there easier than, you know, if it was always in one place like LA, for example, centralized in one location. If you don't live there, it's tough to get there, especially if you're a competitor in a game where you're not like on a team um, or in a franchise league or anything like that. So I understand why the fighting game community is kind of against circuit-based tournaments because they've just never really had that before. But imagine Riot, if they really want this to be an esports, they've an esport. They should, they've got to have their finger on the pulse on this, right? I feel like they're not going to try to create a new LCS type format. It was also why they just announced this nonchalantly at Evo. Like they just sort of brought it up, and the, the other commentators were talking about how hype it was. But and then they showed a little bit of this in this trailer, the, the fighting game that's coming up here. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think if they do this correctly, though, this will make a lot of fighting game players very rich. And those guys, a lot of them have not made that much money. Yeah. A lot of them ever. Yeah. I was I was seeing some some memes on Twitter today about, like, uh, if you get... Uh, there was this, this guy who posted a tweet basically saying what it means when you get top four in EVO. And it was, like, that Nick Gass show that... You remember that old show? Yeah, it was yeah. a weird game show. And it was just like, we've got this great gift for you, Nate. It's Secrets of Jafar, the DVD, like or VHS or something like that. <laughs> it's like if you're not making, if you're not getting like top, even at Evo, like you're winning yeah. pennies basically, and it's really rough for those fighting game guys who literally pay their way to all these tournaments. You know, like they have to yeah. fly themselves. I mean, some orgs obviously fly the players. It depends on where you're at. But if you're a new and up and coming player, you got to fly yourself to tournament. You bomb out early. You you win nothing. And you've still got to pay for your hotel, you know. It's yeah. it's a hard it's a hard scene to get into. I, I'm also wondering as well, how is Riot going to handle suddenly having all these games out here? I mean, I think part of the reason why they were successful is because they had all their eggs in one basket. Uh, from personally working with Blizzard, I've actually seen, in my opinion, some of the errors that are causing them to, I think be taken down several pegs. Um, for instance, every time a new game comes out, a lot of times they'll take the very best and brightest that were managing one game and then shift them to the next game. Um, and then, they'll, you know, another game comes out, then they'll move people from there. And there's also, 
it seems to be almost an incentive system inside the company that if you're going to be at the newest game, you're going to, I don't know if you get paid the most, I, I really don't, but you're going to be given the most attention, probably given the best funding for your projects, um, while other games can be put on life support, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, so I I think the idea of like the Alive game, right? The newest yep. and biggest and brightest um, is something that uh, kind of, it's it's a bug that infected, I think, Blizzard employees and, and even casters um, mm-hmm. for a while because StarCraft Two was for a little while like the biggest esport in the West. I mean, yeah. we in were, the world, really, yeah, 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 really. I mean, in terms of live production, and we had the GSL running, which had insanely good viewership back then, still doing solid today. But I mean, at the time, it was massive. Then you have MLGs who are also popping off. Then you have all these companies making new studios. NASL, you know, remember that tournament? Yeah, NASL appears. IEM is doing their own thing, and you've got um, IPL, you know, the IGN Pro League. So there's a lot going on, right? I think StarCraft fans were trained to believe, like, we are the biggest and the greatest. Yeah. And then every time a new Blizzard IP became an eSport, everyone's wondering, is this the one? Is this the biggest game in the world? Like, should I go there? Should I care about it? I think that it kind of trickles down to staff and and casters and and production people as well. Because once uh, League of Legends really blew up, Everyone saw the viewership numbers. Everyone saw dollar signs in their eyes, right? But they wanted to stay within Blizzard. So I think everyone was always kind of like jumping to the next thing. Um, and I think a lot of people lost sight of where they were and like what they were passionate about uh, along the way. Because um, I mean, we've, we saw with Heroes especially, I feel like a lot of people really wanted to try it out. I ended up really loving the game and, and cast it it's for a, a great long game. time. Um, but it, it, didn't, it didn't blow up. You know, it didn't become the thing that everyone wanted it to be. And a lot of people as soon as they realized that just jumped out. Um, and I yeah. stayed in until the end, you know, I cast the last HGC finals, you know, I, I was, I mean, not the grand finals of the tournament, but like I went to BlizzCon, I was on the desk. I was involved in that league. I cast the Korean league there. I stayed with heroes until the end. I think a lot of people like to just jump out, like right when the new thing comes out. Yeah. I've always found this to be kind of gross. Um, and you'll see like, a you know, you, how do I say this? No matter what, your game will never be the biggest forever. It just doesn't matter. It's 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 unfortunate to see that Blizzard opted to kill Heroes of the Storm because that was the first signal that they are willing to to kill anything else. You know, I mean, I think Overwatch League would certainly be the last thing to go, right? At the moment, sure, yeah. But you know, we don't know, right? I mean, they're still, as far as I understand, you know, funding StarCraft, but they've been doing it less and less each year. But um. Yeah, it's it's too bad to see this almost disease happen where if the game isn't the biggest, people want to leave immediately. Like, what is yeah. that? I think it's just people chasing success and fame, which is you know like a common thing that happens in in general. You know, everyone wants to be on the biggest thing. Every investor wants to invest in the in the biggest game, the biggest um, wherever they're going to get the most clicks on their ad. You know, that's why we have, you know, why journalists even online like have gotten rid of a lot of their integrity and are just posting clickbaity titles because it's about getting the biggest, the best, the clicks, right? Um, we're moving towards a world where everything is going so fast. Yeah. I mean, you know, Heroes of the Storm, if you think about the length of HGC's existence, which is really about two years, like the official existence of HGC, compared to like how long the GSL was popular at its start and how long it's still going for. Yeah. I mean, that that was the GSL started in 2010. That was, you know, nine years ago, but it's still going. Um, and how people thought about esports and products and, and, you know, 
creating a long-standing league in 2010. That's not that long ago. But yeah. things have changed so much since then that everyone is like, kill it in a year if it's if it's not good, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know where Fortnite and, and PUBG and Apex Legends are going to be in two years, but I think they're all trying to compete in the same space and they're all struggling. And how many of them are going to last? I don't know. But are people investing towards the future or are they only thinking about the now? And I think a lot of people are thinking only about the now. I, I think you are 100% correct on that. Speaking of uh, PUBG or Fortnite, one of the things that I found most interesting uh, was what Riot didn't announce. They have no interest in stepping into a battle royale. I think, and I think intelligently so. I think they've realized that people making battle royales right now is another disease in of itself where there's too many battle royales. What they've really done is they're stepping into the places that are getting ignored. It really makes me hope they make an RTS, by the way, because there's another genre that's just, you know, everything when I was young was an RTS. Yeah. There were tons of RTS games at stores, and now everybody's completely backed away. I think in part because Blizzard backed away from RTSs. Um, but they, uh, with Riot, they did not want to touch Battle Royales. And I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think that's genius. I think it's safe. I mean, it's it's just an oversaturated market right now. In an overall, overall otherwise, I think, oversaturated esports market that we have where everyone's trying to make their game into an esport... Um, you know, I, I, w I, for one, was very surprised to see that Rocket League took off as an eSport. You know, when I played the yeah. game, it's, it felt like a fun couch co-op type. Like, I'm going to yeah. play with my my best friend. We're going to mess around. We're going to fuck around for, like, two hours on this game and then go out. And then it became, like, really competitive and really serious. And there's a world championship. And, you know, you just never know which, which leagues are going to take off. But everybody's trying. And as a result, you know, some leagues are doing very poorly. And it's, it's unfortunate. But, I mean, I think the game industry, too, when you think about... You know what? What it was like in two thousand seven? I think it was two thousand seven when StarCraft two was announced. Um, when they unveiled it in Korea, I think it was around two thousand seven. Didn't come out for many more years. At that time, you know, all the RTS people were really excited. You and I are really excited. But I think just gamers in general were like, "This is big" because everyone's talking about it. Because games just big, you know, major titles didn't get released that much. Yeah. And now we have all these mega consoles we have nintendo switch there's i mean that thing just spits out games it's crazy because every publisher wants to be on it because the sales are so good you've got the pc culture that we have where the pcs are so good that you can port almost any console game to a pc there's just so many games like i can't play all the games i want to play and then i i can't play all the esports titles that i want to play and i can't if you're an esports fan how the hell can you watch even, like, one-fifth of everything that's out there? I mean, I don't think you can. So nothing nothing can be, like, as big or as popular as some of the best games are now or, or even were before until, like, the fan base is just bigger because we have, like, you know, a limited amount of people in esports. I think it's growing slowly. But until it, like, explodes further, I mean, we're just splitting viewership across, like, way more titles than we used to. When it was, like, StarCraft Two and League of Legends are the only esports um, that are really doing well on Twitch and, you know, Counter-Strike to a certain extent. Those tournaments were all doing insanely well. And they still are, but it's like split. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 It makes me wonder. Um, is Blizzard fucked on, on some level? I mean, I want to talk about BlizzCon coming up here, but I mean, it, our company doesn't seem to be in, in great shape. Everybody, almost everybody that I know uh, has left. Now that doesn't mean there can't be smart people that come fill in those those gaps, but I don't think uh, I don't think Blizzard is fucked. Um, to, to answer your question Thank directly, you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
I think Blizzard has a, a bunch of great devs, um, yeah. especially the ones that have stuck around. You know, we lost a lot of, of devs over the years, but um, I think Blizzard makes good games. And right now they're having the same struggles that, you know, that we've been talking about. There's just so many games, all these genres are oversaturated, you know, outside of like RTS. Hearthstone was the card game that blew up, but then now there's so many card games and a lot of them are failing super hard. Yeah. Um, we've seen already. I wonder, you know, how do you keep iterating on a game like Hearthstone? How do you keep iterating on a game like World of Warcraft when it feels like it's already been done before? Yeah. That's why I think a lot of people are really excited for WoW Classic when that was announced and when that came out. Because it's like, you know, with World of Warcraft, it's just the game is just getting better and better and more user friendly. But I think something for a lot of people was like lost along the way, you know, how new player friendly it was. Everyone wanted to go back to something a little bit more hardcore. I think if Blizzard can figure out how to make their games, you know, take them back in a way, like if, if that makes sense, like take go back to their old design philosophies, um, then I think their games are going to do really well. I, I I don't think they're doing poorly by any means. They've laid off a lot of people. I think they're trying to trim the fat a little bit right now. But yeah. I think that they will Bl- bounce Bloat back. is very common in huge companies. Yeah. I mean, you've got they've got so many IPs and probably have a bunch of IPs that we don't even know, you know, that haven't right. been announced yet or released yet. So I I feel like we should wait and see. I mean, I'm a little bit biased. I work in, you know, the Overwatch League, and I think it's doing pretty well. Like, the viewership has kind of exceeded what most people's expectations were. And... Now we're we're trying something amazing with going you know overseas and and basically having these twenty different cities that we're gonna have homestands at uh, around the world. It's something that no one's really done. I mean, the closest thing is probably just like CS:GO majors where the teams are traveling a lot. I think it's gonna be big. I think it's gonna be exciting. Uh, it might take esports to a new place. Um, will it be like? I don't think it, the Overwatch League doing this international model would be the best version of that that we ever see. Maybe in five years, because people learned a lot from what's going to happen next year in Overwatch, they, they have like the ultimate version. Um, but I think it's a really good start, and I think it's a really huge move for esports, and I think a lot of people should look at um, Blizzard trying this in terms of, yes, it's only one of their esports, and a lot of people are sad about the scale of StarCraft nowadays and what's going on with Hearthstone uh, recently, and HTC is gone. Um, but I think people should remember that Blizzard is trying this crazy thing with Overwatch, and yeah. it could really push the future of esports forward. People were worried if Overwatch League fails, it's so bad for esports. I think it's already past that point, and now, like, can it can it even push the boundaries further? I don't know. What are your predictions for announcements at BlizzCon? Uh, I think we're. I mean, I don't know what's being announced. Just to, to put that yeah, out there, I, so I, I don't either. I have yeah. no idea. Um. I think we will see a another Blizzard Classic uh, type game. You know, obviously we had StarCraft Remastered. Then we had um, Warcraft 3 Reforged announced. And I guess that's going to be released soon. Um, I I feel like with where we're going with Diablo right now, we had the, you guys don't have phones, you know. Yeah, yeah. Every time you guys have phones or whatever. Yeah, I think that it would be pretty touching if they announced at least that they're working on um, a Diablo-style project. I imagine there's going to be a Diablo 4 announcement. I just have to imagine that's going to happen because they need a win with that. If if there is, in fact, no Diablo 4, I would imagine they're remastering Diablo 2 at the minimum. That's, yeah, that's it what would I'm have thinking. to be one of those yeah. two things, right? Yeah. I mean, perhaps both, but that would be a lot, right? <laughs> well, this is also the weird thing uh, for... This is the weird position that Blizzard's in right now, right? Is Riot intentionally has their worlds, has, has worlds before BlizzCon, right? It's going to be done before BlizzCon, right? 
uh, I believe, right before BlizzCon. Yeah, yeah, like literally right before BlizzCon. So that's very intentional by them. Now, Riot doesn't normally make major yearly announcements unless I there's something I just don't know. Um, and so they basically, I think intentionally in this moment of weakness with Blizzard, and also it pans out nicely, it's the 10-year anniversary, right? So with all this money they've made off of League of Legends, they've you know had these little projects incubating. Um, it's going to be hard for Blizzard to match those announcements because Blizzard always had an announcement every year at BlizzCon, right? So there's no way Blizzard can announce as much stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be tough. So I imagine... It'll be something new in each game, maybe a new Heroes of the Storm hero. Something, some expansion pack is going to be announced in Hearthstone. I think. I think they need to do something pretty big with Hearthstone, to be honest. Yeah, I think this BlizzCon has to be big uh, for Blizzard because last BlizzCon was pretty lackluster overall yeah. in terms of announcements. Um, so I think we should expect something huge. I mean, it could be something as game changing as like Hearthstone goes to a monthly subscription model instead of like you buy packs. Like it could be something yeah. huge like that that you know, really grabs people. I mean, when they did the WoW Classic announcement, that's something that people have been wanting forever because they've been shutting down the private servers, right? And the people are like, I want to play WoW Classic. And they were like, I'll give it to you. We're going to have dedicated servers and we yeah. won't shut them down. They're going to be going forever. I would love to see something like that that really grips people and goes, ah, Blizzard knows what I want, you know? Yeah, it, it's interesting as well because, you know, we have a new CEO there. Um, it seems like before Mike Morheim left, he made sure... I don't know this for sure, but this is what it seems like to me. He made sure that all of his old games got remastered. Um, and I guess we're going to see how those compete and match with the um, the new games that Blizzard's going to come out with. It does seem like somewhere along the way there was a design philosophy change, by the way. Like, he Heroes of the Storm, I think, was the first time this was shown. You, you, you yeah, agree with me on like, this? It was, ahead, it was basically like, there certainly became at some point this idea of... Um, I want our games to be uh, accessible. And I think the philosophy was probably easy to learn, difficult to master, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think Hearthstone kind of fell into this as well. Like anyone could pick up Hearthstone and learn how to play it in you know five minutes' time. You play the tutorial that it makes you play where you kill like the big monkey guy and you know you play as Janna. You, you beat the monkey guy. <laughs> you got to throw his bananas yep, back yeah. at him or whatever. Yeah, you, yeah. Gotta, you kill Illidan, who's, yeah. like, his hero power is OP, but you still beat him because it's like geared for you to beat him. Um, like nobody dies in the tutorial, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, except Brendan, he died in the tutorial. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you uh, you have to like look at how Hearthstone is built and like how Heroes is built. Like no items, shared experience, and think, okay, we're we're trying to reach out to like a bigger audience than like Blizzard's mostly, I think, hardcore audience that they had before. Yeah, Diablo was a hardcore game. Starcraft, a hardcore game. Warcraft Three was pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult game. I, actually, what I meant, because uh, I was thinking of something totally different. I thought Heroes of the Storm was the first time that Blizzard indicated that they were interested in what another in, in another company's success with their game, and thought, well, why don't we try to make our own version of of that? Like Heroes of the Storm, there really weren't major card games out that were like that. I you mean, mean uh, you mean MOBAs? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, are you talking about I'm, Hearthstone? I'm sorry, I meant, I meant Hearthstone for okay, a second. Okay. Like card game, competitive yeah, card yeah. games, there was nothing like that on PC or, or iPad or phone until Blizzard did it. There was nothing really like StarCraft or, or, or the, you know, Warcraft 2 until Blizzard did it. There was nothing like Diablo. I mean, that spawned the whole dungeon crawler thing. Yeah. Um, I guess there were MMOs, but Blizzard's MMO was so crushingly good and advanced, and those take a long time to make as well. But Heroes of the Storm, and 
obviously no no shade thrown at Overwatch, but Overwatch as well. They they basically looked at a successful Valve title that they never capitalized on, which was Team Fortress Classic, and kind of mobaized that almost. But um, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here, but basically, I it does seem like that's when the company took a different trajectory was during Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Heroes, Heroes and Heroes of the Storm, and what, what we had a million other mobas coming out at the same time. What was that? Vainglory on tablets, right? And, right. Uh, what what other mobas were coming out? I mean, there was always Heroes of New Earth, but I mean that was an older one. What was that one that had like, Marvel characters or something that totally flopped? Yeah, in, Infinite something. In, I, I don't know. So, it, you know, somebody could look it up. But there, a lot of mobas were coming out around that time, and everyone really wanted to get in on the success of League of Legends and Dota Two. And Blizzard wasn't the only company that tried that. But I think you can look at Heroes of the Storm very similarly, I think, to a lot of how people looked at uh, how people look at Apex Legends today, uh, for example. Because when Heroes first was announced, people were really excited. People were losing their minds. And the viewership was really high uh, the first few tournaments, especially BlizzCon. It had all the big orgs, like Cloud9 was playing in it, for example. Na'Vi and all the big orgs in Europe were, were really getting into it, along with the NA organizations. So... Um, and a lot of Chinese organizations as well. Snake uh, had a team. Um, DK had a team as well. So it looked like, okay, this is the challenger, right? Like, I think everybody thought Blizzard made it so it can't fail. Uh, and when you when you look back on that, it was it failed because it was an oversaturated market. The same way, like, why Riot is not going to make a battle, battle royale, royale right yeah. now, right? You just It's like... It's over. Like there's no one else is getting under the door. It's, it's almost unwise to try to invest into that because it, it is so heavy. I mean, and right now, I don't know how big Apex Legends is right now, but it's mostly still just PUBG in the Asian market, and then in North America, it's Fortnite. And I don't, I don't quite know where the European market is on that. But yeah, I don't know much about Europe for that either. But I think it's mostly still Fortnite. I mean, Fortnite's yeah. huge. It's big. It's really big. Um, okay, so other predictions here. I think. That there's probably going to be, if it's not announced now, later, an Overwatch movie or some kind of series. I've always thought, the moment I looked at that trailer for Overwatch, I thought about how much it looks like a Pixar movie. Yeah, I think everybody like it, looks at that trailer that way. Like I think a lot of people, yeah. when they first saw it, they thought it was going to be a movie. I thought it game. was going to be, yeah. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I thought, they're making a movie? Oh, oh, it's a game. Okay. Um, but it, you know, with what they did with the... Uh, the World of Warcraft movie. I have to imagine there's some intentions on on trying to get into to this form of media, like we're seeing Riot do now, or what we've seen Nintendo do with Pokemon. Yeah, I wonder if that's something that they'll do because I mean they obviously have really talented animators. Right. I mean it's not it's not just like the Overwatch shorts, but if you look at some of the StarCraft two cutscenes that were made, like the scene with um the probe. I guess they like canonized him into Probius later. Yeah. But the probe who like puts the pylon down and that cutscene for Legacy of the Void and then all the zealots warp in yeah, to fight yeah. to fight the Hydralis. There's a lot of really cool animation that's been done over the years. Even when you look as far back as like Brood War, I mean yeah. those are pretty cool cutscenes. That for was their like time. the big reward too when you'd beat the game or get to a certain point is they give you this cutscene. Yeah. So I mean I think that there's definitely a lot of talented animators that could make something um I think a movie is probably more realistic if we if we were going to go down that route, right? Because if you make an animated series, of that's just that's a lot, right? And they have yeah. so, they're working on so many other cutscenes for so many other games, probably IPs we don't even know. I I could see a movie though, even a, even if it's like a short movie, like a twenty minute, thirty minute movie, like yeah, 
I could see that. I mean, they have a lot of cutscenes they they make for their new hero releases and map releases. What about StarCraft? Do you think there's going to be anything for StarCraft? I mean, my big thing for StarCraft is tell me about the the Google AI. Like, where are we at? Like, that's I think. Oh the biggest, yeah. That's the big thing for StarCraft is tell me that like Alpha Star is ready to go and we're gonna we're gonna determine like humanity's champion and they're gonna fight. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna find out if Skynet's gonna kill us all. Um, I hope that eventually they make another RTS. You know, it's it's StarCraft Two has been out for nine years. They announced StarCraft One. I'm, I'm sorry. What am, the fuck am I talking about? StarCraft One's been out for 21 years. They announced StarCraft Two after StarCraft One had been out for 10 years. Now, no one's told me anything about. I don't know. Blizzard keeps a really tight lid on this stuff. A lot of the people that are actually making the games don't even get to interact with the rest of the company. It's crazy. But I would love for them to be uh, making another StarCraft. I'd love to see another boom or something like that come out. I don't think it's going to happen this BlizzCon, but I got my fingers crossed. I mean, StarCraft Two Esports has had a really good run. Yeah. Like the shit we were doing out in Korea started a lot of all the stuff that's happening all over the world. But I don't see why they wouldn't give it another shot. I don't know. We'll have to see. It's a market that's that's definitely hurting for, for new games. I mean, whenever an RTS comes out nowadays... You know, even if it's small, like everyone tries. I mean, the best example of this was when um, Total Biscuit recommended to Dan Tooth and Tail, I think is what it was called. Right, yeah, yeah. And then like all of us were just like downloading that game and trying it. Because yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it's an RTS and like the graphical style is pretty unique and weird. But I think everyone's like, yeah, I mean, fuck it. It's RTS. Like, I want to try. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with RTS games. I mean, they are billions crushed it. Yeah, that's and that, was, that was big on it's I, I don't know how big it is on on uh, Twitch anymore. But I mean, that game was huge and everybody was super into it. So I'd love to see Blizzard go back to their roots. I mean, a lot of their success has been built on RTS. Um, yeah. any, do you think there's any chance there's going to be something totally, totally new? Like a new IP? New IP? I mean, if they were going to announce it, I feel like this would be a great year to do it after last yeah. year was, you know, pretty pretty tame BlizzCon, you know, you would say. <sighs> they should not have done that cell phone game announcement. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was so weird because, you know, we were there. We were backstage. You were in your... Yeah, I was in the your, your, your section of the area. hall. I think I was yeah. in the D hall. You were in the C hall. Yeah, because at BlizzCon, if you guys have never been, it's like each of these. It's I believe it's four to five convention hall blocks all connected. Um, and I mean, I saw that happen live, and man, you can almost see it from a corporate standpoint. They were looking at how much money cell phone games, and everybody started nodding their heads at each other and going, "Yeah, yeah, no," and you know, Candy Crush has done this well and. If, if we take Diablo and we put it here and, and, and how much, you know, what, what the cost is of it and, and, and we can get access to all these different markets and cell phone uh, gaming is getting bigger and bigger in Asia. It's like they forgot how this is perceived. Sure. I almost think if they had ordered everything differently and had the Diablo phone game be the first announcement and then put Warcraft 3 Reforged at the end, they could have avoided a, a PR nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... A lot of companies are dealing with this right now. Like Nintendo has released a lot of mobile games as of late. Mm -hmm. uh, like they made a bajillion fucking dollars off Fire Emblem Heroes. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big Fire Emblem fan. And the idea that I could basically collect Fire Emblem characters across like their, it was like 17 games now it feels like. Maybe maybe it's like last like 14, but they have a million Fire Emblem games they've made. You can collect these characters. I was like, this is cool. I didn't spend that much money on it, but I yeah. was like, cool idea. That probably made them so much money. There was the Mario game they made, and now they've got Animal Crossing. Yeah. Um, and they just recently released a Mario Kart game. Um, and a lot of the fans, 
you know, outside of Japan, I think mostly are really upset that Nintendo might be getting too deep into the cell phone market. You know, like, are they going to give their, uh, you know, hardcore fans, you know, their console fans, um, the cold shoulder when the cell phone market gets like way too big. I think a lot of people are worried about that. I think people have been wanting a Diablo game for a long time, like a traditional Diablo game for a really long time. It's been almost as long as it was since StarCraft II was released since Diablo III came out. So people are really hungry for that Diablo four. And when you give them this instead, it's, it just, I think for some fans feels like it's, it's almost a slap in the face because they're like, you know what I want. And you gave yeah. me this. Yeah. A, a company that built itself uh, for, you know, built itself off the, the hunger of, of PC gamers to suddenly drop a cell phone game. I think the only way that you can ever do something like that, like, let's say they have a Starcraft cell phone game. I don't think that's unrealistic to have happen because clash Royale is so big. Command and Conquer. I never played the cell phone game for that, but apparently that does quite well. Um, you can't announce a StarCraft cell phone game unless you are also announcing that there is a StarCraft three. The same thing with Diablo. Assuming that there was a Diablo four, they should have announced that and said, "We we we can't show anything to you yet, but it's coming." But by the way, the same way that um, Bethesda launched the Fallout cell phone game. Oh yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I heard about this. But well, this was a, a while back. But when they were announcing. I think it was Fallout 4. They basically showed some photos and then said, and also there's a cell phone game that's out right now. So check it out too. And everybody was super hype and excited. I think if Blizzard done it that way, it would have been better. I think they also should have just put the cell phone game out, out there. I mean, if it's if it's really going to be that good, just give people access to it and don't tell them until it's actually out there because people can speculate. You know, they did this thing with Hearthstone that was really intelligent. I think Blizzard wasn't that confident about presenting Hearthstone and making a big deal out of it when they were making it. What makes you think that? Well, there was barely any mention of it at BlizzCon. They kind of mentioned this thing, and they had a small stage on the side that, you know. It was announced at, like, Gamescom, wasn't it, actually? When it I believe so, I th because I think they were cognizant that we're doing this thing, but, like, you know, it's, it's just kind of happening over here. It was made by a small team of people, and it's going to be on the phone, but, you know, it, we'll have a PC version, but don't. Don't worry about it. And then I think Hearthstone did so well that then when it came time uh, for their next cell phone game, they were so excited they actually forgot that, that you know, the stigma that comes with cell phone games. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, Hearthstone was so successful not only because it was just so cleanly made by Blizzard and super uh, – the interface is, like, great for PC and for phones. But yeah. I think streamers made Hearthstone. Like, streamers actually yeah. blew that game up. Well, that is also the most spectatable game. If you can – play Hearthstone at all you can just sit there and watch and process what's happening it's also probably one of the best dual monitor games yeah whether you're watching a stream or you're you're like I don't know watching a documentary and you have Hearthstone on the side you can always kind of play it's almost like knitting yeah on <laughs> yeah. some level it's like something to do with your hands um I don't know well hopefully this BlizzCon kicks a lot of ass um you're not sure if you're going to be going right are you yeah, um, I don't have any plans to work the event at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, I, I might go just as a spectator. It's uh, still up in the air for me. Not sure if I'm going or not. Well, if you're down there, let's get a beer. Absolutely. Um, how did this podcast go for you? It's been pretty fun. I'm like worried. I'm like, did we talk too long? I have no idea how long we've been Let's see how long we've done this for. <laughs> this went on for about an hour and a half. Whoa. Okay. You're easy I was to talk worried to. we were at like two thirty, and I was Wolf. like, oh no. <laughs> well, if it's uh one. 1 a.m. and we got to end this. Um, no, uh, no, this is this is great. I really enjoyed doing this. Is there anything you wanted me to ask you before I, I close this out? Um, no, not not really. I think uh, you 
you know, I don't think this will be the last time I do a podcast with you. So I don't think I'm going to let you get away with just doing <laughs> one podcast with me. All right, let's close this one out and go to the um, the after show. Thanks for watching this episode, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Again, thank you to the Patreon donors. We got to 100. Um, so we're going to be having video that we're going to be recording for the podcast after I return home from BlizzCon. Again, if you guys like what you're hearing, please support us on Patreon. It, it goes a long way. I, it really means a lot. Uh, before we close this out, we got to thank our supporters who gave us 100 or more. And you guys make a huge difference, seriously. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, Wolf, will you read them for us? Yeah, I bet you didn't expect me to be the one <gasps> reading the names. He's back. You thought he was gone. We haven't gone to dinner just yet. Yes. I'm still here. He's still here. So special thanks to John Kernicki, Charlie Cheever, and Rohit Sambadi. We love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting us. And that does it for the podcast. This podcast was produced by State, artwork by Alarice, and music by Mark Lentz. We'll be back with more podcasts, uh, Taste's podcast stuff after BlizzCon. See you guys again soon. Bye-bye.